What's up, Redemption? Hope everyone's having a great week. This is another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. This week, we're going to be sitting down with a good friend of mine, Derek Torado, who is the owner of Your Turn Games, and we'll kind of see a little bit behind the scenes of what goes into being a retailer for Redemption and, and how Your Turn Games turned into what it is today. We'll also be reviewing some spoilers from the last couple of weeks that we haven't been able to do due to some scheduling issues with getting the podcast recorded. So without talking too long, we'll just jump right into it. Appreciate you for being here. All right. Thank you. And welcome into another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. My name is John Hendricks and I'm here with owner of Your Turning Games, Derek Torado. How you doing, Derek? Good, John. I appreciate it. And I appreciate being back on the uh, podcast. All right. Today, our episode is going to be kind of doing a little bit of a, a dive behind the scenes on the retail side of Redemption. So we'll talk to Derek kind of about what goes into running a business in the secondary Redemption market, how we come up with card values, things of that nature. Kind of just let him give us some of the the experience of what he goes through running your turn games. Um, before we get into that, Derek, for people that maybe didn't didn't catch you on the first episode or know much about you, you want to go ahead and just hit some key points about your experience with the game. Sure. So I got into Redemption around 2007, I believe, and uh, that was when I was first introduced to it. Uh, I didn't play too much after, uh, for it was about a month, and then um, kind of skipped several years. And didn't really get into it again until uh, December 2015. Um, and then I started um, Your Turn Games uh, shortly after. It was just a few months. It was February 2016 when I began Your Turn Games. And so uh, that's kind of my brief history of redemption there. All right, cool. And we'll, we'll kind of unpack some more about Your Turn Games and obviously talking about the retail side of redemption. That's kind of the whole point of this episode. So we'll get into specifics in a moment, but first last week, just due to some scheduling issues, um, we kind of had to record the episode without doing what's kind of become kind of the standard is going over recent spoilers. So we didn't get any recent spoilers or discuss any of that on last week's episode, which was all about type two. So we've got three full spoilers that were released this week or the, in the past week to two weeks. We have the Church of Christ, which is a fortress, and then we've got a good enhancement redemption reprint, and then we've seen our first disciple. We've got Thomas the Twin and Thomas the Assured. These cards, uh, especially the Church of Christ, the Church of Christ seems bonkers. You wanna you wanna kind of kind of give your thoughts on that, and then I'll, I'll I'll pick up after that. Yeah, sure. So I think Church of Christ, that's a really cool card. Um, it's pretty unique, I would say, to Redemption. It's This is the first time you see something like this. Uh, this isn't the first time a token mechanic was used, of course. That was with Majestic Heavens. But this is the second time uh, the token, uh, token-related token card is made. But this one really seems like it takes it up, you know, a couple notches there. Um, and so it's, uh, it's pretty neat, though. What I like best about it is it's uh, it helps support the church theme, the clay churches from early church and persecuted church that really just, we all know, just don't have much support. They don't see much play uh, competitively or anything of that nature. So I, I like to see uh, this really go to support that uh, that that theme, the church theme. And so uh, I think that's really cool. Um, I think it's pretty powerful, maybe over, you know, a little too much, uh, a little over the top. Uh, with the good gospel enhancements used by your lone follower token 
cannot be negated by an evil card. Um, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I, I guess they wouldn't have probably made it the way it is without that. They obviously play tested it and everything. So it probably can do uh, pretty well, but um, it does have high numbers, you know, when they do create those token heroes. So sometimes it's hard to gain a niche, you know, uh, to do something uh, in terms of uh, battle winning enhancement for the CBN side. But I don't know. I think it's a great card. Yeah, I definitely like the fact that they're they're offering support to make cards from early church and persecuted church. Um, not just playable, but almost it seems like this plus a couple of other um, things that have already been brought to light, like th- ways that you can use this card. Seems like it's going to make that super viable. I believe it was Jay Chambers that first pointed out sowing bountifully with this is going to be pretty good. It's going to be actually pretty crazy. Um and then Jaden, it took him no time at all to bring up impartial judgment. Oh, sure. So yeah, you definitely you definitely have a lot of a lot of powerful plays that you can do with, mm-hmm. with that. And I think it's really cool that they're giving support to older cards. That as a competitive player, when I came in, those sets were kind of already dated mm-hmm. because they didn't have reserve access for real, right. and they didn't have they weren't quite up to par with the themes that were prevalent in the meta. So it's nice to see that they're they're trying to offer support for that and make sure that we have a wide range of deck types that we can play. Yeah, and I definitely hope that really uh, boosts that some. You know, we'll see how it goes with, you know, with people actually using it as a competitive deck. But um, uh, I think it's a great starter to it. You know, to get those those themes boosted. Yeah, and Gabe posted that bounce defense, and I think this obviously is part of the reason why because. If you don't know, when you target to bounce a token, it's going to cease to exist. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely hinted there. You have you have easy ways to answer if they come out and can set it up. It's going to be a pretty pretty fun play, I think, trying to get like an impartial judgment or something yeah, you off get, of that. you got windows and narrow light, too. That, I think, will be even better. Um, but the thing is, notice, uh, this does not work specifically with windows because it says cannot be negated by an evil card windows will negate enhancements and characters um, but that's a neutral card of course so uh, you have to find cbp or cbn enhancements to use with those meek heroes but i think uh, windows will definitely uh, see probably more play if if people are using this card yeah Um, and then we'll roll over to redemption which is a a pretty cool looking card um it's got a star star ability that says protect meek heroes from evil cards until end of turn. So it's kind of a blanket protect for meek heroes throughout the turn, which seems pretty strong. But then you see all of the regardless of protect abilities that we've already seen come out on cards. So it's not I don't think it's too overpowered for that to be a star ability. But then you have the enhancement. This is just a clay enhancement that says select up to X evil cards and X is the number of your meek heroes and you convert the humans or selected humans and reserve the rest. You can pitch cards into your opponent's reserve. And of course this works on turn one. You're not taking anything out of the reserve. You're putting them in. So you can come in, play this. Imagine if you play this with awesome things, they've got a territory full of evil characters or, or whatnot, just evil cards. And you can put right. stuff into the reserve. Yeah, that's, it is. Um, that's pretty good. You know, and then we, we, we're we only seeing a glimpse of what's coming out. And so we'll probably see, as the veils pull back more, we'll end up seeing more, you know, cards that probably interact a little bit better with this, you know, with that reserve, the rest, and things like that. You see the theme with these, these cards, obviously, that's clay, and it works with the Church of Christ, which is 
to support right. kind of clay um, theme of of early church and persecuted church. Then you roll over, and I think this is the one that most people are are excited about are excited about the most. Not just because this card is really really good, and it kind of shows some of the ideas behind GOC, but the fact that it's the first disciple. And I think people are really stoked about it, about having disciples playable and seeing what their abilities are. And we finally got to see one in its full build. You've got Thomas the Twin, the purple disciple side. Um, it's territory class, and it says, if an opponent uses a search ability, you may take a good dominant from deck. If attacking, you may convert this card to meek to ban to a martyr. They are making it so easy to get to dominance that... And and Gabe pointed out, or or he said that they didn't want to have like restrict. They they didn't want you not to be able to play your card, but more so, if an opponent does this, then you gain an ability from it, and that's how they wanted to counter searches and things of that nature, which is kind of nice to yeah, know. Yeah. So, th- yeah. It, so this this kind of goes in line, of course, with what we see with a lot of other territory class cards, like uh, um, or, or the the penalty, you know, the punishment for doing X, then this will happen, you know. So most of it is related to searching. If you search, then this will happen like Sheol under Dex of Soul, um, Wasting Disease. You know, you could shuffle a card in the territory and uh, Jonah, same thing. So we're seeing obviously that again here, except this time you're not doing something to your opponent. You're gaining the benefit yourself. And it's not just any benefit. It's a gigantic benefit of getting any good dominant. I mean, um, this is definitely going to make your opponent think twice about searching. Um, to just get out a good dominant right away. And, and we already know it's it's been hinted at there's going to be several good dominants uh, in this new set. So, you know, it's just going to just be a great engine to get those out. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't even need cards anymore like uh, Woman with Child or Solomon's Dream. Theoretically, uh, you could just kind of slap this guy and he's splashable. You can put him literally almost in any deck. Um, he doesn't require a unity or anything. So you just put him out there and Hopefully, you know, he's not negated and you could just pull those doms that you need, you know, and uh, you could splash them in just about anywhere. Definitely, definitely going to be pretty popular. And I also think the the fact that they're they're making it so easy to get to dominance. I really like that because it seems like there was a lot of games in the past that I've played. A lot of games came down to who was able to get to their their free two souls and who was able to do that. In fact, our game. Our game at Nationals, I think, came down to you got your two free ones at the end and right. didn't even have to do a final battle. Um, and there's there's ton of games like that mm-hmm. to where somebody gets to theirs. Uh, the game that I paired up with after driving 12 hours to Nationals in Texas got paired up with Jeremy <laughs> in the first round. And the difference in the game, we both comboed each other with Love at First Sight decks. And the difference was right. he got to his two free ones and I did not. And that was the, yep. the deciding factor in the game. I think they're... They're making it so easy to get to dominance now that it's not going to be what decides games. And I think your ability to play and navigate through turns that are not determined by by dominance per se, like where you're, you're, you're going to have to be able to work yourself around putting a good rescue out, making a good block, and be able to navigate through a turn really well and be solid in making sure you hit all of your triggers and all of that and really making it more of... I don't, I don't know, more balanced gameplay to where it's going to be player skill. Like, if you miss a trigger, then that's going to determine more so than, hey, I was able to get to my dominant. And I think that being able to get to these also with the Disciple, 
because it's been hinted that all, all of their abilities are, for the most part, a lot of them get stronger if you show a dominant. I think them having a way to get a dominant quickly yeah. is pretty good. Well, this could work also for your defense. You know, like there's a lot of cards out there that, you know, work or it's meant to kind of work more for your offense. Uh, for example, like um, um, Covenant with David is kind of a, an example where it, it probably is meant to get more of a human uh, hero. I'm sorry, a, a hero king. But um, they may, they design it so that it can get an evil character, and so um, so you can get your you know, three woes, your chronicles, and just use it as a defensive card, you know, um, or destruction Ishtan or any of that stuff. So it's definitely versatile. What I also like about him is um, I like how he is also supporting the martyr theme, which is needed because um, it, that didn't get any love since uh, Revelation John. They really boosted and kind of introduced the martyr theme then. Um, but if you notice, there really isn't much banding in the martyr theme. It's just mostly lone heroes. Um, and so I like how he could band, uh, to a martyr, which is, uh, I think really good. So that helps support that. Um, the only thing is I just, I hope there's, you know, some good counters out there to him because he's, this is a very strong ability. So I just hope that there's enough counters out there, like, you know, more like the stress lost soul kind of counters or confusion of mind. Um, things out, things like that. We are obviously that's already in the card pool, but maybe there's more in, in the upcoming set. So I hope that we do see more to help counter some of this too. I wonder not to go down a rabbit hole here, but I wonder, I know territory class, if he, if he's removed, if the Thomas, the twin side is removed, that his ability stops working. It doesn't go through the face because he's territory. Right. class. It's while in territory. I wonder if he comes in, if he comes into battle converts, his ability should still work because it came and went off in battle. So it should work through the phase. So the way territory class works is if they're removed from territory, it immediately stops working. Um, yeah, but then it goes off in battle because it says if attacking, you can convert. So it comes in, that happens, and then... Yeah, so, he, well, yeah, he'll, he reactivates in battle. So... So, so the the if they use a search ability after he's converted, you would be able. To oh, I see what you're. Dominate. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's converting them to the clay side. I got it. Um, yeah. If that works, and then he can immediately ban to like Paul to negate neutral cards, and if you search, he's grabbing a dominant, and then Paul gets the draw two. I think so. I, I I think it is because it's it's an ongoing ability, and it, it would be I think similar to some other cards out there that you know flip to the meek side. Um, I, I would believe it still carries over because until the end of that phase. Yeah. So if you have a way to bounce him, then um, boom, there's, there's plenty a, there's of ways a little to bounce. Yeah. Band that gets you a potential dominant off of a search. Those are the recent spoilers that have come to light. Um, definitely, definitely continuing um, looking forward to GOC coming out in early 2022. Hopefully the, the printer stays, stays on time because mm. I'm not sure that <laughs> I'm not sure that, that the community would, be too excited about a delay. I know that we can't control it, but man, the excitement seems like it's sure. it's maxing out right about now. So we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of close the chapter on, on the um, the spoiler review here from the the past couple of weeks, and we'll get into kind of our main topic. We'll talk to Derek here about the retail side of redemption, and let's go ahead and just just I'll give you the floor to kind of tell us about um, the process of deciding to open a redemption business or a secondary market for redemption. And how long did it take you to start making moves toward that once you first got introduced to the game? I know you said you started 2007, came back to it around 2016. 
How long did it take you to make moves toward doing that? Yeah, so it was something that uh, when I got into Redemption the second time, it was never an intent to do that. It was never an intent to create a business and retail redemption, all that. Um, so what happened was it was around December, 2015. Uh, my son and I were playing a lot of uh, board and card games at the time. He was a uh, Braden. He, um, and a lot of y'all in the community know him, uh, from the national tournaments and such. He's uh, almost 13 years old now. So he's been playing, um, pretty much, I guess, half his life now or over half his life. But, um, so, uh, we ended up, uh, I think he saw some starter decks. I had some I and J decks that I bought, um, some, some years prior and just kind of sat. And the reason I bought them was I wanted to always had a dream of kind of creating my own card game or board game. And so I kind of bought that and I think something else to just kind of use it as like a base to get examples and ideas from to eventually, you know, create my own game. And so uh, I was just sitting there and he saw it in the closet and he said, what's that? And so, I said, yeah, I think you might like this. So we pulled it out. We played, you know, learn the starter decks. And, it was, and, and I think I remember at this point, it was much easier to learn the game, play it and, and teach him, of course, and teach myself versus the first time, which was years prior. It was the EF starter decks and they were just really advanced for starter decks. They were introducing mechanics that were just just too much, I think, for new players. So we played and then um, we enjoyed it. And I wanted to kind of get into a game, you know, like a CCG like that. And, um, of course with my faith, um, I'm a follower of Christ and, um, I, I just love the fact that I love the Bible and I, and I love the fact that, uh, uh, we have this game, uh, that it's like, you know, all the stars are aligned, so to speak, where, uh, you know, CCG, a good, a good theme Bible game, um, you know, love the Bible, all of it coming together. So, uh, I ended up, um, we went to family Christian store locally and, um, to buy some booster to, uh, booster packs. So we went there and then, um, they were selling it 75% off, you know, all the redemption product. Uh, I guess they were liqu liquidating and, and this was the beginning, I guess, of when family Christian was starting to go out of business. So they were liquidating that product and I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, I ended up getting them talking down to doing 85% off and I bought all the rest of it from them. And the idea of me buying the rest was to just start a little play group, you know, to introduce the game to people and try to just get a group of, you know, a few of us playing and, and whatnot. So I figured, let me just buy the rest. And uh, it wasn't that much. It wasn't like, you know, a whole bunch of stuff in the store. But um, so I ended up buying that and then um, to just have for the, the players. And so that was it. And then um, shortly after I had this idea that I was like, well, I'd like to get some of the, you know, other product, newer newer product and whatnot. So I got with Rob Anderson and he mentioned, um, that I would need a reseller certificate to get stuff at, you know, wholesale, um, or a, like if I was like a youth leader or something in a church, you know, and so I could get a, uh, kind of a discount that way. So I wasn't in a position like that in church. And so I ended up, um, going through the process of seeing what it'd be like to get a reseller certificate. So keep in mind, uh, John, this whole time I wasn't trying to create a business to retail redemption and get it out there, right. And be some competitive redemption, second, secondary market retailer. It was simply just to get stuff at wholesale cost. So I can start a play group and sell it to them easier, uh, and in person versus them having to go and order it online or something, because clearly family Christian, was going out of business and they weren't going to have that stuff. So that was my whole intent with, with, the, with this. And so, um, 
uh, it was a relatively simple process to get the reseller certificate and uh, from the state of Florida. And so uh, I did it and um, just did the little procedures, the legal and licensing and all that. And so from there, um, I just kind of, I had to create a name, a fictitious name for the business and thought of your turn games. Um, I felt it was pretty catchy and short and sweet and it's pretty, you know, specific and thematic to, to what people do in games, you know, it's your turn. And so they, you know, that's what everybody says in a game. And so it's kind of like, um, it's also kind of like a free marketing, so to speak, like psychological where they would think about your business too. If they, you know, they say it's your turn. And so, um, that's where I came up with the name. And so, uh, from, from there forward, I ended up, um, uh, just kind of, you know, I was on the redemption community on the forum and asking questions and such. And I just kind of let people know I had some product to sell if they ever, you know, wanted some or needed. It was just very, um, loose thing. It wasn't anything major. And, um, so the irony behind it all was, so, uh, at that time and later on, I, I never ended up creating a play group. I tried and it just never, nothing ever really took off. There are, there were, and are a few players in Florida, um, but nothing really locally where it was just, it just didn't seem to ever take off. So, um, so there was the irony. I just, it just never happened the way I intended it. And then, um, kind of fast forward down the road. It's, it's, you know, now your turn games has turned into this, um, major secondary retailer of redemption. And it, it that was never my intent. So, uh, but I'm glad it did. It, it's, uh, it's been a great ride. So being that you didn't intend to do this for having a business, quote unquote, you were doing it for a play group to now your turn games, you go to the website, boom, you've got, you've got product listed. What is the process of going from, okay, I've got all this product. I can't start a play group or it hasn't taken hold to now I have this website and it's all done. What was the process to getting up to where you are now? So, so let me, let me just give you kind of a, a little bit of a chronology of how, how it turned out. So February, 2016 is when I founded the, the business. And so the first year it just hardly made any sales. It just, nobody knew me. Um, I was just not, nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew what, who Derek Torado was or what your turn games was. And so they just kind of stuck with what they knew and went with other retailers and such. And so, um, so that was just, but every year from there forward, it just, people got to know me more. They would meet me at tournaments and whatnot. And, and then, uh, there was more of, I think, a credibility and a trust, um, being developed in the community. And so over the next few years, it just grew a little bit more and more sales came. And I kind of focused more on the sales too, because again, the local play group never really launched. It just didn't happen. So I was like, well, I have this product. I kind of need to try to sell it at this point, you know? And um, I saw clearly there was also a need in the community for a secondary, um, a second secondary market retailer, um, because there was one that uh, Three Lines Gaming just dominated uh, the that market for years and years, and and it's in my opinion it's not really good for one particular company to have a monopoly. You know, I'm all about choice, um, customer choice, and if one person or some players don't want to particularly, you know, pay a certain price or um, go to a particular place, they have a choice of going somewhere else. I think we all like that, especially as Americans, we have freedom of choice. We can go to one grocery store or this one over here. 
uh, or whatever it may be. And so I felt like there was a need for that even within redemption. And it was, and that's nothing against uh, Travis who owned it at the time. There was nothing against him or anything. It just, it was just more of a marketing thing. Like uh, that's what I think, you know, people in the community need is kind of a choice. So I started kind of building on that a little bit more. And um, so I had considered website design. I wanted your turn games to have a website, but I, I really didn't know anything about all that. I, I'm not a computer techie kind of guy. Um, I kind of looked into e- e-commerce sites and things and, and kind of started something, but it just, I just didn't really know what I was doing, honestly. And so I just kind of let it sit there and, and I had, a, I had other priorities going on a full-time job and, you know, wife and kids and everything. And so there was always priorities there um, that overtook website design. And so, uh, uh, so it really wasn't until I want to say 2000 and I think 18 or so, um, 2019, maybe I, I can't remember somewhere around there <coughs> where Jesse in the community, uh, Jesse Foresto, he, uh, he approached me and he would buy for me occasionally. And he, he approached me before about, you know, Hey, ever thinking about getting a website, I was like, yeah, I am, but uh, you know, I just got to work on it over time. Well, it always sat in the back burner. And then he approached me one day and he said, um, Hey, I'd like to, um, you know, build a website for you. You know, I'd like to help you with that. I want, I want to see that happen for the community and I think it'd be good. And I said, okay. And I said, you know, sure. And, and he had a little experience with that. So, um, we did. And so let me, let me back up a little bit. So around the, like maybe a month or so before that, um, it was a very short time before I, I pretty much called Rob Anderson and told him, Hey, listen, I'm, I think I'm going to go ahead and just kind of end my, you know, uh, account with you. I just, I just felt like it, I just wanted to move on and didn't, I wasn't really selling him much or anything. And, um, I just felt like it was kind of quote, a waste of time. And <laughs> like, I just wasn't selling much. And, uh, I was more interested in playing than selling, honestly. And so he's like, yeah, he said, well, I'm sorry. It would be, you know, sorry to see you go. And I never really had a full piece about like fully like letting go. I was kind of going to phase out. And then that's when Jesse kind of stepped in and he didn't even know that he didn't know I had that conversation. And so, um, so he approached me about it. I said, yeah, well, you know, let's try it out. And so he started building, uh, what you see now, the your turn games.biz. Uh, on the Shopify e-commerce platform. And so he basically designed the whole thing. Originally, he, you know, he designed it. I picked, we, we would work together and collaborate and, you know, give input of what I like, what I would like to see or whatever. And so, but he ultimately built it and then he turned it over to me and showed me how to do things on it. And so I just took it over from there in terms of uh, operating the website. So what you see today is in due large part to Jesse uh, if it wasn't for him, um, the website would probably still not be here. That's a good story of of kind of the the community having each other's back and kind of supporting each other. That's pretty cool. Um, let me ask you. So you just plucked out your turn games. You had you said you had to have a name to put down on the sell, uh, reseller certificate or whatever. Did you ever plan to do other games besides Redemption? I know you obviously you were you were thinking about creating your own game in the future. But did you plan to branch out and, and do anything else after you started doing redemption? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. So I ended up, um, so it wasn't just Cactus. I got a um, re- t- uh, reseller certificate, um, oh, I'm sorry, a wholesale account for. 
Um, I ended up needing to buy, I wanted to buy cart supplies like sleeves, deck boxes and things like that. And so I ended up getting one with a, um, gaming distributor, you know, who sells those things to wholesalers. So I ended up getting a gaming distributorship, uh, account. And so I can get those items from, um, that kind of distributor, uh, deck boxes and sleeves and, and whatnot. And so they also sold like board games and, and other card games and things like that. So I had talked with my wife at the time and I said, Hey, I think I want to go ahead and kind of branch out a little bit and get into, you know, some board games to try to sell those too. whether it was online. Well, I didn't have a website, but whether it was just telling people about it or in person, like try to set up a little booth somewhere or whatnot. So, uh, I bought it, I bought some board games too. And those really didn't take off at all. Um, I still have some literally right now in my closet um, that are just sealed and everything. And kind of over the past few years, I've given away as gifts or maybe sold a couple here and there. But um, so my idea at the time was, yeah, I wanted to sell, uh, you know, kind of games like that. And I bought some stuff from Cactus, too. They had um, some uh, uh, other games he designed, like board games and such. So I bought some of those, too. And so uh, so I was kind of into that at the time. But the other thing was, yes, I wanted to I had the vision to try to create, you know, some kind of card game or board game. And to this day, I've kind of written down ideas. I've kind of put some things down. I just don't have too much time to really delve into it, honestly. So I just kind of, uh, you know, some notes are there here and there. But um, but yeah, that was kind of the idea was to kind of use the business as as that platform to create those games and, uh, you know, to just try to sell them through my business, you know, just create and sell it. Um, and, you know, I could always sell the rights or something to some other bigger uh, gaming company. But that was part of the idea of, you know, why I kind of chose that name, uh, Your Turn Games, and, uh, you know, part of the vision of the business. Cool, cool. So I guess that's a, that's a pretty good uh, overview of Your Turn Games and how it came to be. So let me ask you this. As far as like general day-to-day operations, how much time do you spend maintaining the business? So if you ask my wife, she'll probably give you a way more accurate answer to that than I would. (laughs) (laughs) She'll probably give you um, at least um, either either it's going to be a realistic answer or her perceived how much time I spent on the business. Um, Wow. So I have a full-time job. I work, you know, at least eight hours a day. five days a week. And so you have to factor in, I'm, I'm at work all day. And then, so, you know, if an order comes in, then if it's something that's big and I know it's going to take time to fill, thankfully, uh, Braden is at an age now where I've kind of started teaching him the ropes and, uh, you know, I've had to um, fill orders and things like that. And so I'll kind of call him and say, Hey, I need you to, you know, let's say it's like somebody bought like two or three contender decks. I've had that happen before and, or multiple contender decks. I'll say, Hey, I need you to start building those out. Cause I, I just know I'm not going to have time that night to just do, to pull all the cards and build them out. So I try to kind of, um, enlist his help, um, with that. But short of that, when I'm filling orders, it, it just depends really on, you know, how many sales came in that day, um, what, what the size of the sale is, but, I guess as a general average, if you factor in time, you know, at work, yes. So yes, at work, I'll occasionally, you know, do something for the business. I'm on the phone doing something or sending an email or whatever. If you factor in that time on that and time on the, uh, 
on my app, the Shopify app to help, you know, manage the business from the back end. Um, and then maybe fill an order or something here and there later, I would say probably, you know, maybe an hour or two a day. So it could easily be a full-time job, honestly, because, um, I could really just take, I have a lot of ideas. I, you know, I could run with, uh, all these different projects, but I simply just don't have the time to do them. And, and I have to, you know, triage the priorities of my life. And so, um, uh, I can't get to those things. And so, uh, I just have to try to manage and, and work on certain projects here and there. So I just try to fill in certain gaps in my day where I have a little bit of downtime. For example, if I if I have an idea for a contender deck, um, I will start kind of fleshing that out and then building the deck out, thinking about cards to switch out. And then I'll start thinking about, you know, the deck tips and strategies and write those down. And then I have to eventually put that on the site and then start putting that on there and write all that up. So there's a, <clears throat> there's a bit of a process to do those kinds of things. And so I try to work on like one project like that a week. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, it, it, it just, it, it could take a lot of time. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of hours in a week, um, probably a good eight, eight or more hours, you know, in a week, I would say is a probably good baseline of, of what I spend in the business. Yeah. So I guess I, I understand that a little bit with. I only do the podcast and so that's recording one episode and editing it a week. And if you asked my wife about it, she would probably like, you, you would see the steam coming out of her ears about how much <laughs> I talk about it or yeah. uh, spend time thinking about it, working on an outline, coming up with ideas for future content. So yeah. I definitely get that part of the dynamic there. Kind so of I'll a, tell you, it, it's been a process because <clears throat> there's been times where I've, uh, you know, over the past almost six years that, your turn games has been in existence. Um, we, my wife and I, uh, you know, she's had some meetings with me and, uh, discuss with me where her thoughts are. And, um, um, you know, like, uh, with, with time management and, and everything and, and thank God for our wives, you know, because they, they really help bring us into balance as men and, uh, they help refine us and, uh, just kind of, they're like sandpaper, man. They, it's not necessarily fun to go through the process, but they help smooth us out. And so, uh, you know, with her bringing in the perspective, like, okay, you know, you got to focus on your priorities and the business isn't a big priority it, and it's just not. And, that, and she understands, she said, you know, she's like, if this is like your main source of income for our family, then yeah, I totally get it. But it's not, it, it really doesn't do much for us in terms of, you know, uh, monetary income or whatever. And it's kind of there as like a backup savings account, essentially is what I use it as. And so, um, you know, I had to, over the past few years, just try to really triage, um, and, and prioritize my time with it. And so there's, again, there's things I, there's, there's times I intentionally just don't do anything with it just because I have to make sure my family is taken care of first, you know? Um, and so that's, that's my biggest thing. Cause you know, at the end of it all, do I want to say, Hey, I had a successful business, but you know, my family was kind of, you know, my life, my relationship with them has kind of suffered. I don't want that testimony. So, um, but yeah, so we've had those talks and, um, uh, but they're good, you know, obviously they're good. And so, uh, but I think it, it helps me cause it helps th keep things in balance, but also not let the business, you know, suffer to a point where everybody else suffers. That's a really good way to, to describe it for, talking to me or talking to someone else on that level about your wife's like sandpaper. She smooths you out, but listeners do not go and tell your wife she's sandpaper. She is not going to understand that. 
it's it's not going to go over smoothly, you know, pun pun intended there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think one of the things, like if if I told, if I asked anybody in the community randomly, said, hey, I'm going to sit down with someone that that's on the retail side of redemption. What's one thing you could ask? I think one of the main questions that would come up is how do you determine card values and how do you do that for the different rarities? So you have commons, mm-hmm. you've got rares, ultra rares, you've got promos, you've got national promos, which is like the the top notch. How do you come up with those values and how do you determine what they are initially and then how do they change over time? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, it's 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 kind of a loose formula in my mind. Um, but so I originally based my values off of three lions when they were again, the, uh, the sole main retailer, secondary retailer. And so there was really nobody else, uh, who was doing the secondary market. So I had to kind of, um, get a, get a little bit of a baseline, you know, cause I was coming into it and, and Travis had, he owned the game shop before and, um, he set the standard in, in redemption in, in terms of at the time with the secondary market. So I had to, um, kind of, kind of, kind of float around there. And, and, you know, if, and if I was going to use him as, com- if I was going to be his competitor and of course I had to be within that range too, and not, um, you know, be too, too high or, or, you know, be too low where I'm like taking a big loss or something. So I kind of used his initial prices as, as kind of that baseline. And, um, and at the time, since I was newer and coming in, um, you know, people were getting to know your turn games more, um, but still new, um, you know, I had to have some edge where they would want to come to me. And so I ended up kind of going a little lower on my prices, you know, than, than his. And so that gave me the initial uh, competitive edge. And then uh, over time, uh, I just kind of set kind of set my own prices, how I felt. I felt like certain cards were either undervalued where certain cards were overvalued. I felt some cards were just way overpriced in my opinion. Um, and, and, and it wasn't just my opinion. It was other people told me too, that they just felt like some things were just way, you know, too much. And so I, I felt the same way. And so I would bring my prices down or, you know, and I felt like certain cards were undervalued. So I would bring them up a little bit more, you know? And so, and, and I knew that, you know, when you bring a price up over your competitor's price, you run the chance of losing business, right? And so they could pretend to, you know, pretty much go to your competitor and just get a lower price. But uh, I've also noticed that there's people in the community that don't focus too much on on pricing and, and such. And so they like customer service. They like certain aspects of why they would want to buy one business over another. I know personally, I would want to buy from a certain business if, even if the price was a little bit higher, but if I was getting great customer service, um, or fast shipping or whatever it is, I, I would go with them all day long. And if I just liked, you know, in general, just the, the, uh, the model of that person's business. So, um, that's kind of how that started. And over time, um, as I've come into my own with, with your turn games, um, and it's become pretty much a main competitor. Um, and I feel like it's, it's kind of starting a new standard, you know, in the secondary market, in, in my opinion, um, because of what, what, what we offer here. Um, I kind of started setting prices at where, um, it was like more of a tiered pricing system. And so I've tried to standardize a little bit more. So I've kind of gone more to that. And, and all this has been, again, an evolutionary process over the past six years. And so, um, so I've kind of felt like moving toward a tiered system kind of works because it kind of, 
kind of sets a standard for certain values where people can expect in the community. Okay. I see the prices here. And then when it goes to this level, then we know that that card is, you know, more in demand. And when it goes to that level, it's much more in demand. And, you know, you could just keep going up from there or that card is definitely not in demand. So I try to, I try to really keep a pulse, a finger on the pulse of the, um, the market, you know, of what, and, and, and as an active player, I kind of know what is being played, you know? So for single cards, for example, I know what's being played and I know what's not being played. And, uh, I try to keep a, um, you know, close, uh, eye on, you know, on that, from that perspective, from a player's perspective. And I don't, I don't base my prices either on how much inventory I have of something. I, I base it simply off of, you know, a player's perspective you know, like what is in demand and what is not. And so I go off of that. And so, um, for example, I've reduced the price on something like the fall of man, uh, curse, you know, from, um, from the fall of man set. And it used to be probably 40 something or whatever it is. And it's, I sell it for $25 now just simply because not many people use that card. They, it doesn't sell hardly at all and they just don't use it much. So why, why have that just because it's an ultra rare, why have that at a 40, 45, $50 mark? It just doesn't make sense. But conversely, when you have Chronicles of the King and everybody wants that in their deck, then that's an ultra rare. Um, of course that's going to be, um, I have to try to buy more boxes of cards, open those packs and try to pull those cards, which cost me more money. So part of the value of that, of course, is going to go higher because there's a higher demand and there's a higher cost of my end to have to get that and supply that demand. And so, um, that, that kind of gives you, I think an idea of where I'm at with that. So yeah, it's been a process and, um, I try to keep my prices very fair. Um, I know sometimes they might be a little higher than competitors, but, um, understand it's, it's not because I'm trying to, you know, make a huge profit. That is not the the purpose. I, I want the community to know like that it's a strong, you know, um, I want them to know that that's a value of, of, of that car that they can trust. Like say, okay, that, that seems like that's the right value for that card. You know, uh, that it's not too high and it's not too low. You mentioned that things aren't based on your inventory at all. You do it from the player's perspective. Um, let me ask you about your inventory. How, how many cards, like individual cards, how many cards do you think you have in your inventory right now overall? So, I have monster boxes. They're called uh, BCW monster boxes and they're, they hold 5,000 cards each. If you just pack them full. And, and so that's, um, the, that's the five row boxes, right? Yes. The five row deep, you know, um, big boxes. So I have looking behind me now, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, probably open like 10 to 12 of those. <clears throat> but a lot of that too is with filler cards too, like the older cards um, that I've had to, I've gotten through um, uh, somebody's um, collection, you know, purchasing of their collection, uh, all the filler cards from Cactus and the packs, you know, I've opened uh, for the newer sets, things like that. So I would estimate probably at least a hundred thousand. A hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. That's I, then that might be conservative, but it might be right on the money. I don't know, but that's that's my guesstimate. Let me ask you this: How many of each card do you keep on hand? So, like, let's let me let me throw out a card, um, Royal Parade. I think that's a pretty useful card right now. It's pretty meta relevant. It goes in a bunch of themes. How many of those do you target to keep on hand? 
So <clears throat> my goal is to try, and <clears throat> this has been a process too, where I've, I used to put all my cards in one box and then try to inventory all that. And, you know, let's say I could have literally 30 of one card, you know, let's say it's a common from prophecies of Christ or something. Now, let's say it's ISAC. We'll just use that as an example. I remember, you know, I've had so many of those cards just because nobody really bought them and I would just get them in packs and whatever else when I'm opening. <clears throat> and so I would, um, I would say, you know, just inventory all that. And so, uh, but over time I decided, well, let me just bring that down and, you know, just put like 15 in the main boxes. But then now I have it where I only do 10 in the main boxes. So when I say main boxes, I just have specific, you know, BCW monster boxes where, you know, LOC, POC, whatever. I'm only going to have up to 10 of one card in that. And if I have anything over that, I put that in what's called a reserve box. And then I, you know, that's organized too by set and some other ways I, I organize the cards. And so, um, so I put all the extra, anything over 10 in those boxes. So part of the reason I do that is one, I think 10 is a good baseline for uh, how many cards of a particular, you know, uh, it gives me an idea of like, okay, I've got like two left. I need to probably try to find it through trade or buy through another retailer sometimes or, um, or, or open more, more packs, you know, things like that. So, um, and it gives me an idea of, you know, where I'm at and, and it keeps, it keeps my, um, spacing, you know, limited to in those boxes. So I don't have to, you know, buy a whole bunch of other boxes, um, and keep shifting things around. It kind of limits what's in that box. Um, and so the reserve cards, um, I have been using those mostly for, <clears throat> excuse me, um, for like battle boxes or grab bags and things like that. So a lot of those cards and those, those products come from reserve boxes. Um, and there's rares in there, there's, uh, you know, commons and, and all that. And so I'll kind of tap those for, you know, the, the other things for those, uh, grab bags and things like that. And so, um, but when it comes to main sales, I, I just try to keep up to 10, you know, and it, it, clearly not every time I'm going to have 10, I, like right now, I don't have 10 Chronicles of the King or I don't have 10 red dragons or anything like that. I may have, you know, three or four or something at a time, maybe, you know, a little bit more or a little bit less. It just depends. So, but those higher value cards, I'm going to probably float around five or less, you know, it just depends on, you know, what's uh, how much I can get and how I can keep restocking. So you mentioned that if you notice you're, you're getting low on a card, you'll, you'll try to find it either through opening packs, trade, mm -hmm. or you mentioned buying from another retailer, which is perfect segue into this question. Yeah. How does it work with you and other retailers? Um, and do you ever work together to determine card values or maintain your inventories? Or is there some, some type of like turf war to where like you're, you're just not going to use, you're, you're not going to work with them because you're trying to stand alone or. Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, so I do work with Ken Lachlan. He's a current owner of your uh, three lines gaming and he took it over, uh, took that business over, I think 2019. And so bought it from Travis. And so, um, uh, so I've worked with Ken. We, we've communicated, we talked on the phone, we text. Um, so we, we give each other discounts, you know, so there's times where he's needed, uh, an order filled. Maybe he was on, had a back order of a card, um, or didn't realize he was out of a certain card or whatever. Uh, he would place an order with me and then ask me to ship it somewhere. And so I'll do that for him and put like his label or, or his information there. Um, 
And then he basically kind of pretty much gives me the sale, you know, um, in general, he just wants to fill the order. And so, uh, but there's times where I've gotten, um, low on a certain card and I could see he may have a surplus of them. So I'll get to him and say, Hey, you know, I need to order this. So I'll just go on the website usually and just kind of get my quantities or something. Um, and so we, we do help each other out. We give each other a discount, uh, for things like that. So we, we work together definitely, uh, more than we compete. Um, Ken, the, he's a really great guy, really nice guy. And so we, we have a good relationship. <clears throat> I think part of it too is, uh, it's a little different than your normal, um, business relationship in the world, because typically in the world, when you have competitors, you're always trying to edge out over them in terms of like, you know, <laughs> Coke versus Pepsi, you know, the Coke is always trying to, you know, get all the sales while Pepsi is trying to do the same. And so I, I'm not trying to do that with Ken. I mean, yes, granted, uh, I running my business, I always like to obviously want people to come to my business. Um, but we we have a mutual respect for each other. And, and I think our faith is there where it's more important to us than, you know, competition, business competition. It's just not, there's a, there's a little bit of course, cause it's, it just comes naturally when you have two businesses providing the same product, you're going to have elements of competition, but it's friendly competition and it's uh it's very uh, respectable competition. And so, and we keep things professional. And so um, we just help each other out. We have a mutual respect for each other. You know, I like to see his, his business succeed and, um, certain areas and, and, you know, he wants to see mine succeed too. So, uh, that's, that's how we work together and I like it and I think he likes it and it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good relationship we have now in terms of, um, <clears throat> now we haven't really talked about values cause I kind of feel like that's a little more specific to what he wants to value his cards at or what he thinks they are, should be valued at versus me. I think that's a little more specific to what, um, to our businesses, you know, part of his, uh, with three lines, um, I know that's partly, you know, his family's income for me, it's not really, it's, it's just, it's kind of, uh, a way to help the community and supply the community. And it's kind of like more of a hobby kind of thing for me. It's not my main source of income for my family. Uh, I have a, uh, <laughs> I have a day job, right? So, so when I value my cards, I try to do it again from a player's perspective and what's in demand and market. He may have a different, uh, formula or reason why he values, you know, the cards uh, a certain way too. And so, um, so we don't really, you know, get into that in terms of, Hey, I think your card value should be this or that. That's it's totally, you know, I think respected to what we want to do. Nice. Nice. Good to see that you guys can work together a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, you know we're, our heart is to, you know, further the game and, and it's, it's a great game. It's an evangelism tool, right? It's beyond a game. Um, and so I think that, again, that's part of we're there to help each other out in that regard, too. You know, we want to see it grow. And as it grows, we grow, too. One of the, the most fun times for a player, at least from a player's perspective, is when a new set drops. Like I mentioned earlier when we did when we went over those spoilers for GOC that like the hype is the hype is at an all time high. It feels like at least on this side of the, this side of the table, on your side of the table a new set dropping means that there's additional workload to meet the demands of players wanting the new set. And obviously that's probably one of the, the strongest times to make sales and whatnot, because there's a product that people are having to get from somewhere and you can, you can kind of feel that need. How much work goes into it on the business side when a new set launches? So a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into it. 
So the process is this. So, uh, you know, we'll just go with GOC and Gospel of Christ because that is the newest set. Um, and it just, it's being released in, in about a month. So what happens is uh, I get my pre-orders in uh, or I announce it, I get them in, um, whether it's complete sets or blo- boxes or whatnot. And then um, I try to do it by a certain date because uh, Rob Anderson will, you know, ask for a certain, say, hey, get them in to me by this day. So, for example, I ended the pre-orders November 30th, uh, special, you know, with the special deals in particular, um, because he wanted them in by the end of November. So um, I gave him my numbers um, the next day, December 1st, and I told him this is what I need. Uh, and so we we had to order boxes, you know, it's, so we're not getting like special um, deals where we're getting like complete sets. Um, there was a short time he, he did do that for a few sets. Um, it, it helps us uh, for sure. It helps him, Rob, because it, um, it, 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 you know, you don't have to pack cards and randomize them and do all that. So he would, he had a process where he would send us a certain amount of cards and it, it would equal, you know, X amount of boxes. And so we'd pay X amount, you know, for that. And so uh, it was very easy to um, manage the single and complete sets from that. But he moved back to the um, going to um, randomization and display boxes. So it's more work on his end, but I think it generates more in, uh, income for, for him and his family, which is totally understandable. And so, um, and to create sales and such. And so we, we buy boxes. So we'll, we'll order X amount of display boxes and then we have to open those packs and then, you know, whatever we get is what we get. It's all randomized. You know, there's nothing set. So, um, so I'll tell him what we need. And then usually he puts in however much, uh, is being printed for, and, and he usually does two runs, you know, the print runs. So the first run he tries to put in, I think a good amount, and so to meet the demand of myself and, and his business and, and any other retailers who, you know, put in the, the, uh, the need for it. And so um, he tries to meet uh, what I need or what other retailers need. And if it if he can't meet it on that first print run, then he's got that second one in the works. And so I know he has a second one in the works for GOC. It's only a few weeks out after this other print run. So for what, you know, if he can't meet my... Uh, we'll just use my example. If you can't use my um, my pre-order or my request for certain boxes, then the next you know um, run he'll fill uh, fill that out. So that is the that that's the process. And so once that happens, once that comes in, then what I do is um, so let's say with if it's complete sets, I have to open all the boxes that I ordered for that and go through every card and try to build out one complete set from that. So you can imagine it's a very uh, tedious process. So thankfully, Braden is a big help because he he helped. Uh, I think last he definitely helped last year with um, Lineage of Christ, and um, I think the year before. But uh, he's definitely going to have to help this year because this has been my largest pre-orders ever. It's it's I've got this huge amount, and so um, uh, so we we'll just open packs. My daughter's of age; she's seven. She she's going to help open packs too and sort cards out and everything. I pay him and on all that. Uh, I'm not using child labor here, <laughs> you know. I am compensating them, you know, and uh, and such. But uh, so they, so we'll do that, and then I have to, you know, pull uh, all the boxes ordered, and then get those shipped out, and then um, you know the complete set, same thing. So all that happens first, right? And then after that, 
I have to I have to inventory basically what's left for the singles in particular. So I'll inventory all that on my website. I have to manually add images to every single card. So I got to get that from uh, usually Gabe emails that to us. Um, and then like a, um, I have to upload it all as a CVS or C CSV file, you know, with all the special abilities and the card name and it just is a lot, you know, on the back end to upload all that to the website. So I have to do all that too and, uh, inventory and uh, whatever's there, whatever I have on hand is what the community can buy, you know, from there forward with singles. And if I run out of some, I run out, you know, I could either try to get something through the ways I've mentioned or I just have to open more packs or, or more order more boxes from cactus to open more packs, whatever it is I have to do to try to meet the demand. And so, um, or just stay out of something for a while. Cause it's just, maybe it's just too hard to get or something, but that's generally the process. It's pretty big. It's, it usually takes up a good amount of time. Um, when that new set drops, it is, uh, it definitely, I'm kind of out of pocket for a couple of days or so, you know, and my wife kind of knows that's, you know, <laughs> she can't expect much from me at that point, you know, cause it, that's kind of our biggest, my biggest time of being busy. You mentioned that you, you open the box and then to make your, your complete sets and things. You also mentioned in there that this is the most pre-orders you've ever had for a set. Yes. Are the pre-orders mostly for sealed boxes or have you had a ton of orders for the complete set or, you know, like the rare set, the mm-hmm. common set? Yeah. So personally, um, with GOC for phase one, it's been, uh, mostly boxes and that, and then that tends to be the, the norm anyway. You know, most people I think, uh, just want to get the boxes, see what they can get and pull and trade and things like that. But there are, um, some people who bought complete sets too. Um, they want to just have that and have every card and not worry about opening random packs and have surpluses of cards they don't need. So it just depends. But yes, mostly it's display boxes. Some people buy some packs individually just to kind of open up a few. Um, I think I only had, I think one person buy like an actual set of like um, legacy rares and that was it. Yeah, I rarely see common sets being sold, rare sets, legacy rares, things like I rarely see that. Um, it's usually, <clears throat> excuse me, it's usually just packs, boxes, and complete sets. To fill all your orders or to get your inventory of singles that you want, how many boxes do you estimate that you actually open from a new set? Like when that first print run comes in, maybe even the second print run, that first initial like wave of opening those boxes, how many of those do you think you open? Hmm. So I try to calculate it based upon experience, uh, prior uh, experience with complete sets and how many cards are, you know, in the packs, all that. There's all these little factors. And so I think I kind of estimated around, I think, five boxes per complete set. And that's not guaranteed anything, of course, because I could get maybe three of the same ultra rare. And so I have to open up a sixth or seventh box or something, you know, or I may not even have a certain rare. You know, sometimes that happens where you can open two boxes and you, you, you never pull a certain rare card. Um, sometimes it's even been a common, you know, that, that's no pun intended, but that's more rare than anything. But uh, but yeah, there's times where there's certain cards that are just not being pulled or you have a bunch of a certain rare and not enough of another. So, but on average, I would say it's about four to five boxes or so per complete set. So you multiply that times however many people ordered complete sets, and then you know how many boxes you need to order. 
And then I try to order boxes that I know I want to, to just open, you know? Um, and so I order that many and then I have to order whatever display boxes people have ordered. And then <clears throat> booster packs, I have to consider one display box, you know, for that to just open that for however many packs people buy. Um, and I'm not too worried about like, things like the legacy rare set with that one customer, because I'll probably end up being able to pull that just from all the other boxes I open for singles. So I don't really have to buy boxes for that. It'll probably just come naturally. So it's, it's been, um, you're talking, I plan on opening just for singles, 20 to 25 boxes. But again, if I've already bought a complete set, uh, so many boxes for complete sets, I'm going to have all those too. So, um, yeah, so I, I plan on opening a lot of boxes and, uh, getting those cards ready and, and have them available. But, uh, but that's just phase one, you know, we're not even talking about phase two when that drops. Um, and so, um, and then, then you have to keep in mind after that, you know, when both phases are consolidated, um, you know, I have to kind of keep up with whatever cards are in demand at that time too. Did I answer your question, uh, directly <laughs> or, did I just touch on it or no, that that's good. Yeah. Um, so definitely you would, as a retailer, you probably prefer super packs, right? Yeah. So I personally like them. I've talked to another retailer. Um, it's not Ken, it's uh, Steve. Um, he doesn't have a website or anything, but uh, we've talked before about it and he, he actually prefers like the regular packs. Um, I, he had a particular reason. Uh, we didn't, I don't think he really got into it, but, um, but for me though, I think super packs are better because the price per card is cheaper um, and I don't need a bunch of filler cards either. So <clears throat> the price per card is cheaper. Uh, so let's say you do 10, you know, you average, you know, I pay, I pay half of what retail is. So for example, if, if a pack of normal pack of cards is $5 at Cactus, then I pay about two fifty. That's the wholesale cost. And then that's not including shipping, I have to pay and things of that nature. So if you take 250 and you divide it by like five cards, because think about it, five cards in a set is kind of what you're going to get in the newer sets. So you take that by divided by um, 250 by five. And I think that comes out to, so that comes out to fit, you know, 50 cent a card. But uh, if you do the super pack, there's 10 cards in that. Uh, those are $8 retail. So I pay four. So four divided by 10 is 40 cent. So it's 40 cent. Obviously, it's cheaper per card for me. Um, and not only that, but I, I'm going to have two rares in there. I'm going to have extra commons. And and then, of course, the uh, there's two ultra rares per box. So personally, I like, yeah, I spend a little bit more um, with the super packs, but I feel like I get more value out of them uh, because I, I need more of those cards. And I have a better chance of pulling certain rares that people want versus, you know, just the five in, in one pack. That's less than. That's only 250. All right. So one of the things that kind of sets your turn games apart from other retailers is that you have what's called contender decks, or I think you have a lower level that's called challenger decks. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, that's pretty cool because you have pre-constructed themes that are kind of relevant. They're, they're kind of up to date with, obviously they don't have the, the full power cards or things of that nature. What was your goal with, creating those and maintaining that for the community. Yeah. So that, that really, I think falls in line with, um, you know, my heart for the business and the game. So, uh, it, it, and, th and this is probably 
probably should have been touched on by me earlier with, um, uh, you know, the business and why I started it. But again, it, it's been kind of an evolutionary process with the business and how I've, um, you know, where it's at now and, and my original intent. So along the, along this journey, um, it's been my, I, I kind of saw where the, it just, the community lacked, you know, when new players come in, it's, it's, and, and I was a new player, right? So I came in and there, it's, everything's new. Like the, the deck building rules are new. The cards are new. There's a, there's thousands of cards to choose from. You don't know what to play. You know, you, you just can't, you can be overwhelmed. You know, the new player can be very overwhelmed. And especially if they'd never been in a uh, CCG before, um, they just probably don't know what to do. They, they like the idea, they want to play it, but they just don't know, you know, they don't have direction. So it's been my heart where, you know, I saw kind of a need where these new players really need kind of to be directed um, a certain, certain way. And so I felt like building pre-built decks would help because they can jump into the game. So originally I kind of wanted to use the cards, um, to just, uh, to just kind of have another product to say, Hey, I, you know, I could try to get these cards moving instead of singles. If they're not selling as singles, I could try to sell them as decks, but it really just morphed over time into, you know what? I really want these decks to really be good. Like I want them to be high quality. I want them to be something where somebody can, a new player can jump into the game, grab this deck and just go with it. Um, they, they, uh, you know, they don't have to worry about the deck building part of it because that in a, it, that in and of itself is very overwhelming. So <clears throat> they they just don't know how to build a deck. You know, think about it. Most players are going to start with a starter deck. And then what do they do? They build off of that. And we all know they're just not competitive. Uh, starter cards in there, they're just generally not competitive. So, um, you know, they, they may feel discouraged if they're playing in tournaments or playing casually and they're just not doing well. And they may get discouraged and kind of leave. Well, it's been my heart to prevent that. So my heart with with these pre-built decks and, and with the business overall changed and morphed into, I want to see this community. I want to see more players come into Redemption, number one. Number two, I want to make it easy for them to get into Redemption, um, make it you know cost effective for them. They could jump into the game easy. They could uh, engage quicker. And we have less turnover. We have less people leaving the game, um, newer players in particular. So that has been kind of my mission with your turn games. Now, um, it's not about making a buck. It's not about you know bringing in all the money I can. It's <laughs> this business. Trust me. It, if you get into a retail side of things, you you really don't make that much money. It's there's not much of a big profit margin. Um, people may think it, but trust me, that it is not there. That's maybe fifty percent average when it comes out to it, you probably make 50%, you know, of, of what you put in. So that's probably profit margin. So, um, so it's turned into that for me where, uh, I kind of use the business as a, um, as a, as a means to get players, <clears throat> new players into the game easier, uh, connected with the community more. And you saw, I think recently where I put on the, the website, uh, redemption resources, I really changed that out and outfitted it to have all these different um, resources, these great resources out there, the podcast, uh, your podcast and redemption with Jaden and, uh, discord, all these things, um, they're all out there, but think about how many new players coming in know they're there, you know, 
Uh, I would say that I would venture to say not many, unless they're introduced by somebody actively engaged in the community. So I felt like having all that pulled into one spot um, could really help steer and guide these new players and new customers and whatnot into the game and tap into all these great resources that are out there. So I put all that under uh, your turn games because your turn games is kind of a, a nexus. You know, the, these are websites, um, our retailer websites are, they'll do a Google search, then they find us and then they come to us. So I, if I can guide them into, you know, better resources, why not do it? So that's, that's been my heart there. So with the contender decks, um, they just kind of morphed into that where I want them to be strong, um, uh, you know, jump into the game kind of decks. Um, I want them to be competitive. I want them to be like, you can get every great card for this certain theme. Um, and all you need now are probably <clears throat> different lost souls and the big dominance, but everything else is, or maybe a couple ultra rare centerpiece characters like David Hart after God or Zerubbabel for like post exilic or something. But short of that, I want them to have everything they need, and then they could build on that later with those bigger, expensive cards. Um, but they can still jump in with a competitive deck. So that's my goal there. Um, you know, a lot of people, new players, have thanked me um, for building them out. They said they, they really helps them, and they're glad it's there. Um, challenger decks—that's you know, kind of the step up from uh, starter decks. You know, they're still competitive. All these have evolved over time. Challenger decks were something different before, and they may even change again, but uh, I might just leave them as classics for now, uh, just kind of help the newer players, but and keep them cheap. But anyway, so that's kind of the evolution, you know, of, of contender decks. Uh, it's, it is my flagship product. I love them. I love deck building. I love playing the game. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, that's part of my problems. I have to make sure I don't spend too much time, you know, building those out. And so part of that, um, is uh, I, I, you know, time with business, with my family, I had to kind of outsource some of this too. And so I felt like, well, what better person to help build these than an amazing deck builder and a player? And that would be Jaden Allstad. I mean, you know, I tapped him for that and he was like, yeah, uh, he, he was very interested. And so we have a little business agreement. And so he makes his, uh, his contenders. I kind of give him a little direction of what I would like to see or give him leeway what he wants to make. And then we make it happen and we run, run things by each other. And um, I run my decks by him. He runs his by me and we kind of tweak it out from there. Um, just last night, him and I played a couple of games, you know, to test out a new contender he built. So, um, but yeah, he's, I, I love having Jaden aboard. I like, you know, running things by him because um, I think that makes my decks even, even better than ones I designed uh, when he gives his input. So um yeah, I love them. I love uh, I love the contender decks. I love new players getting in. I like seeing them buying them and jumping into the game and uh, having fun with them and just knowing that they could uh, just build on those things and learn the game and practice. And I notice it works really well with them. I would venture to say that you've got to be pretty excited about the fact that coming up, Meek Souls are about to become playable, which makes kind of the curve to take what you already have here in a contender deck that's just missing some staples uh, in the dominant and lost soul category and maybe, you know, a few key, you know, ultra rare cards. Um, but the fact that those those decks are all going to get stronger for a lower price point when meat lost souls become kind of playable and defenses able to be built around that. So that's got to be kind of kind of cool knowing that that's coming and it's going to just improve this product. 
Yeah. So when the cool thing is Jaden, you know, he helped with playtesting GOC. And so he already has a one up on, you know, kind of what's out there and what, you know, what's to come. So I already asked him to go ahead and just start designing the uh, GOC contender decks. You know, when those hit market, uh, the cards and all that, he's already designing them now. So we can have those ready for the community to, to jump into. So whether he's using the meek soul defense or just regular souls or whatever it is, I'm really excited to see what he's designing. I don't know what these look like yet. I'd have to <laughs> build them myself and look at the cards and then build them. I, I figured why not just jump on it quicker and, <clears throat> you know, give it the guy who has already helped play tests and then knows what the cards are and just start designing them, you know? So look forward to those coming up uh, once GSC comes out. You mentioned that Jaden helps you with those and you, you kick back and forth. Is he the only one that's that's built those and the rest of them are you or has anyone else in the community helped you with those? No, it's it's been him and I. It's mostly mine and then he's he's got his that he's designed. Um uh, but no, nobody else so far. I, I hope I'm not missing anybody, but I'm pretty sure it's just him and I at this point. I might now when I say that, I I, I might have gotten pointers from people and ran ran things by him. Like for example, uh the flood um contender deck that I recently uh switched to the animals versus antediluvians you know um i got with the players who you know play that deck the most and that was uh rob smith and um i think um jay uh gave it a little bit of input but uh, i ran it by rob smith too you know to make sure hey how does this look you know take their advice because these guys are the experts of that deck so you mentioned that change to the defense with that deck. Yeah. How often do you go back and look at these contender decks and kind of retool them to stay current with kind of changes and evolutions of the game and the meta? Um, that's hard to say because, uh, gosh, they are definitely ever-evolving. And so I've tried to create a standard with them now. So, for example, um, I think you all know, originally I didn't have – all the dominance in them. You know, I, I didn't have like seven dominance. And then I got a recommendation to say, Hey, you should, you should probably put seven. I was like, okay, I'll put seven. So then I would put in the cheaper dominance. Right. And, and we got to remember at the time, these are the classic cards. Every car was being used. But, um, but then I noticed that over time though, <clears throat> most, most people would just take those filler dominance. I call them like vain philosophy, uh, destruction, Neshtan, the old one of strife, and then like guardian of your souls, apostles, things like that. They just, they would just switch those out for the newer doms or bigger doms, whatever. So they did, <clears throat> they, a lot of times they, they just were not key to uh, strategic gameplay, you know, with those decks. And so I just had this idea and I ran a bike up other people, make sure I wasn't off my rocker or something um, to just take those out. And cause you really just don't need those. Honestly. I mean, they help support at times, but what if somebody's playing like storehouse and you can't play vain philosophy now? It's dead card strife. They're not rescuing with abandoned heroes. I mean, what are you gonna do? It's just a dead card sitting in your hand. So I just chose to go with the, the four big ones, you know, Son of God, uh, New Jerusalem, and then use the new version, the copy dominant, and then Angel and Christian Martyr. And those are the staples. Now, if a certain theme has um needs it, like for example, if I'm using Miklaus Souls with some of those Brown Kings or whatever, the meek theme support, then I will put in let astray, you know, if it help, it really helps the support. If I'm using false prophets, I'll put in vain vision, things like that. 
uh, I'll do that. But, um, or flood, for example, uh, with new beginning. So I'll put those in to help with the theme and help with the specific strategy. So those have evolved over time and to what they are now, and they probably will continue. Um, but in other words, the, the, the they've just, they've just grown. They've, they've morphed uh, into what they are. Um, what was the, uh, how often do I change these out? Okay. So things like that, uh, certain ideas will come up and then I'll kind of change them out then. So it's really hard to put a, you know, it's, there's no hard timeline. Like every three months I do something. It's not like that. Um, I think when I see the need for something, that's when I kind of make the change. Or if I realize later, Hey, this card would be better. I'll just switch out a card or, or whatever. But in this case, like with the flood survivor one, we'll just take that as an example. Um, I, I just, I didn't personally like the antediluvian either. It just, you know, it, th- it themes well with flood survivor, of course, but it just didn't really, it's just not a best defense. It's just not a really good defense right now. There's really, there's no reserve access, you know, or very little reserve access. So I felt like the uh, animals is obviously thematic, but uh, gives way more reserve access. You can do way more with it and pairs super well with blue or Genesis in general. Um, and then of course, what are the big, you know, flood players using? They're using a crimson defense. So at least you lay the foundation down, you know, you, you may not make it strictly animals, but at least I'm laying the foundation down to keep some of it, you know, and they could build on that. So that's kind of the idea. So if I ever see the need for something that needs to change and then, then I'll make the change, but, but I try to keep up with it, you know, switch out cards here and there. I try to keep them fresh, you know, relevant. I don't like them getting stale. So, um, and then rotation happened, right? So when rotation happened, I, I wanted to immediately be on the cutting edge of that and say, all right, this is going to be, these are going to be the competitive decks. These are the ones that are in the high level tournaments. Um, and so what can I do? So I talked to Jaden about it. We, we brainstormed um, and we kind of had an idea to just create them kind of like a, you know, flood and crimson defense, but I've, I wanted to keep it a little thematic too. I, I like themes and I think people like themes. I've noticed that a lot. The, a lot of my customers like themes in their decks. And so, um, and I think we all know that certain themes just really pair well with each other. And so, um, so I kept them more themed related. We're going to see more splash decks in the rotation, especially after GSC comes out, we're going to probably see more splash. Um, but right now we're keeping them themed. The rotation decks are themed and, uh, some brigade decks where it's just, you know, the best of, or mostly the best of a certain brigade, uh, on the offense and defense. So I wanted to keep them fresh and relevant for rotation and, um, you know, make those competitive decks and, you know, people want to jump in competitive play, <clears throat> they could just buy one of those and, and run with it. And, and I'm having fun with it because it makes the carpool <laughs> for me, uh, the, the car choice is a little bit easier. You know, honestly, when I build the decks, when it's rotation, cause I only have so many cards to work with. Yeah. I think, I think from the player perspective, especially for newer players that don't have that nostalgic pull to the older cards, we all definitely love having the smaller card pool to build decks from yeah. instead of having to like incorporate all the powerful older cards and whatnot. It's kind of a breath of fresh air. Oh, it is. I, I love them. I love the rotation side of things. Um, but I, you know, I will say of course, certain themes lost some good cards, you know, the, all my red warrior, I can't use soldier's prayer. That's like a staple for that. Or Canaanites can't use the, uh, stone, stone of, uh, stone of the um, things like that, where they were really powerful cards or like the judges theme can't use Samuel's edict, you know, but whatever, it's, it's just, you move on, you try to adapt, you know, and, and see what you can do with it. 
So obviously you mentioned this is your flagship product and, and your, your pride in, in doing these decks. So I'd like to give you the floor here because I know that you have a contender deck tournament coming up and I'd just like for you to have the chance to kind of promote that here. See if anybody else wants to play that maybe isn't aware of that. Kind of tell us what you're, what you're doing, what the, uh, I guess the prize support for it is. I think you had a, in case it is sanctioned and if it's not sanctioned, you had two different ways you could go with that. So just give us all the details. Yeah. So, so with the contender decks, I had this uh, idea recently where it'd be really cool to have like a tournament, you know, where only contender decks are being used. And so um, with, with, I think almost, I think there's about 15 or maybe almost 15 rotation contender decks that have been pumped out ever since um, the uh, rotation announcement was made. Uh, I think it's, we got way more than enough uh, for a card pool uh, or a deck uh, pool for uh, this kind of tournament. So um, just thought it'd be a fun thing. And I think, I think for newer players too, it'll really be fun and um, it helps level the playing field more for them, you know, versus having these really expensive cards and these players have been playing their decks, you know, they know it inside and out. Um, they, all those players have an edge and, and, um, um, an advantage over some other players coming into the game. So I think these will help, uh, level the playing field, you know, with, with the experienced players and newer and, and it should make it a little more fun and, and uh, interesting. So, uh, the first ever, uh, your turn games contender deck tournament is coming up, uh, this Saturday at, uh, it's, uh, December 18th It begins at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. Um, it will be a Zoom tournament. Um, at this point, it looks like it's probably going to be unsanctioned. Uh, so it's not a sanctioned cactus tournament where you get, you know, prize support from cactus and, and RNRS points and things like that. So, but, um, there's no cost to, to jump in. The only thing you need <clears throat> clearly is a contender deck. So I'm not, you know, you don't need to buy one from your turn games. You could just build one from your existing card pool. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, you can buy cards from your turn games if you need to, to kind of meet the, the, the deck list for the, a certain contender you want to use, um, or, or borrow them or trade for them, whatever. And then, um, or buy the deck outright if you don't have one. So there's plenty of ways to do it. And, um, yeah, so for first place, you get $25, uh, your turn games gift card and second place gets 15 and then third place gets a $10 gift card. And uh, again, there's no cost to jump into play. Uh, it's just a good time to be had by all. And, um, you know, just good time fellowship and fun gameplay. Okay, cool. To circle back to, I don't know if, uh, there, there's an opportunity to, but you mentioned that you weren't able to get a play group to take hold. Might be a really cool idea. Someone that's got a, a lot of card inventory in their collection. I have a couple of these decks built and having like an in-person to try to start a play group or build up your play group. It'd be pretty cool to have this like in person. So you come pick out a deck that these, that you might already have here and then let them play with that in a, in a local that that's kind of an idea concept that someone could probably do to try to get some new players involved. That way they don't have to come with the deck. They just pick one of these pre-constructed ones up. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Definitely. If you haven't signed up to do that and you're interested in joining the contender tournament, go ahead. I know that it was, it was what nine participants you had. Yeah, you so, were looking far, for the tent? Mm-hmm. so far we have um, nine players who said they, they plan on playing. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have a 10th because uh, as you know, they don't, nobody has to get a buy 
during the tournament. So 10 is always, an even number is always best. So if you want to jump in, come on in. We'd love to have you. We'll go ahead and wrap up here. Thank you, Derek, for coming on and giving us like a peek behind the curtain. We're always talking about the peek behind the curtain for card creation, but to see what it is like on the retail side of redemption. And we definitely appreciate the service that you bring to the community, you and the other retailers. Yeah. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. And and thank you for having me again. It's a real honor and love your podcast. I always look forward to, uh, to coming out Tuesday mornings. I'll pop in my headphones on the way to work or I'm at the gym or eating lunch or going home, whatever. Um, I, I love listening to it. So thank you. Sweet. Yep. Well, we're definitely thankful to have all the listeners too. So it's definitely a uh, symbiotic relationship here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's a wrap. Another episode in the books of The Threshing Floor. As always, we want to thank you for being here. Thank you for giving it a listen. We'd like to thank our guest, Derek Torado, for coming on and giving us a bit of a glimpse into the retail side of redemption and what goes on in running your turn games. And would like to encourage anyone that is able to participate in the online contender deck tournament to go ahead and do so. Pretty good, pretty good prize considering that there's no entry fee there. So if you can participate, go ahead and do that. Also, I'd like to let you know that the Christmas card swap signups have closed. And I am in the process of pairing off addresses and things of that nature. So be looking for me to reach out if you signed up to participate to provide you with the name and address where you can send your cards As always, we're always better together as a community, so I appreciate you supporting the podcast, supporting the other content creators, supporting the retail businesses of Redemption. Appreciate you, and thanks. Talk to you later.